It is Tuesday, July 16th, 2019, and a study has been released that involves a 350 kilometer per hour train getting you to downtown Seattle in less than 47 minutes. But only from Surrey. This is the Camby Report. I'm Matthew Naylor. I'm Ian Bushfield. And what a show we have for you today. In the first show of the post-Patrick era, we have a ton of interesting stuff coming out of Vancouver City Council. A little bit of a dust-up between some federal politicians in a very local light. Some graphical representations, a a return of our very popular segment, (laughs) Charts on a Podcast. The possible upending of everything in Port Moody. And some non-announcement. So let's dive right in. Right now, Vancouver City Council is debating the citywide plan. I think they're entering hour 300 of the debate on this. Only a slight exaggeration. Yeah, because they can't run at night. We'll, we'll get there. Staff had been asked to, in November, produce a report on what a consultation around the city on developing a citywide plan would look like. Staff did that. They are good at their jobs, generally, and produced something nice that said, here's how we would go and talk to Vancouverites and come up somehow with consensus on what the city should look like, and then you can agree that. And now council can't find consensus on how to find consensus. Well, if you don't have consensus, consensus is very difficult to find consensus-wise. And that's one of the key difficulties that we've talked about before in just the start of this citywide plan. The scoping and how it gets set up is inevitably going to be the hardest part because... If you are the kind of councillor who doesn't want to see the city change at all, you are going to want to bias this consultation of the citywide plan to favor those who, like you, don't want to see the city change at all. And if you are wanting to have a citywide plan that reflects maybe a demand for more renter space for more renters and other people in the city, you'll want to favor other voices in that. Yeah, and and one of those voices is those of the neighborhood associations. A a task that the listenership of the Canby Report has, uh, frankly, disappointed me on, because I asked a while ago, send me the dates of the AGMs for these neighborhood associations, and not a single one has come through, so I only know Sunset. And it's not coming up, so don't worry about Sunset yet, but send in those AGM dates, send in when they were last year, send in the minutes, find out just who was elected, stood for election, or in most cases, was a claim to the board, and just send them to canbyreport at gmail.com because, man, those neighborhood associations are like bulwarks of NIMBY power, and I am very interested in how they are governed. I think one listener, Scott, found that his has ties to PlaySpeak, which is notably the company of one counselor, Colleen Hardwick. Ah, yes. Public consultation and polling. So unsurprisingly, she's been very eager to see neighborhood associations more involved, to have a firm and clear voice in them. Which is, of course, just a way of saying that she wants the people who are living there to be able to block people from living there. Yep. Yeah. Um, You know, you can call it gentrification. You can call it the natural evolution of a city. You can call it succession. But frankly, cities change. And that might be a painful thing for people who have it great right now. But for those of us who, you know, are interested in seeing a city grow and change and for the people who have been forced out of this city to be able to come back and for there to be jobs here for our kids and, and homes here for our kids, 
this change has to start now. And so these these places uh, speaking with this this very like slanted interest and and being given some legitimacy without a ton of like actual democratic mandate acclamations is really really frustrating. Well, and there's an element of class privilege there too, because to be able to be the kind of person who gets involved in a neighborhood association, you're generally pretty comfortable in your life. You have free time. You don't have more pressing issues like childcare or whatever your kids are doing. You're probably just wanting to sit around and talk to your neighbors about how things used to be better back in my day. Maybe I'm stereotyping a little too much, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way. You're right. I agree. You're right. And on the topic of change, the other controversy that's come up around the citywide plan has been whether we should, while consulting on this, stop doing anything. <laughs> As in, allow no more rezonings to go through, just kind of put them all on pause. Because the argument, I believe, is you want to have the full plan in place so that all the patch rezonings that go through in the meantime don't mess it up how beautiful it could be. I mean, I want the plan to be there is no plan. Like, tear up the fucking whole concept of Euclidean zoning and just let things roll. But uh, I have a probably pretty radical view compared to the majority of Vancouver. I think reading, um, we're not watching the council live, but it does sound like the live update that will be well past when we're talking about this is Hardwick did try to move that kind of motion as an amendment to the plan, like we'll put everything on pause, and she couldn't find a second, so it might be hopeful. Ha! Well, like, I I appreciate that, and I I do kind of, like, I think it's good that she moved the motion, because there is a constituent of Vancouver that is embodied in the person of Colleen Hardwick, and that constituency deserves to speak its truth, and then, uh, you know, just hear the crickets of everyone else. Uh, because I think those people know that there is very little support for their static city idea. Well, it's like the more you think about it, the more incredibly radical that idea would be because that would freeze the city. Like we're in a crisis, we need projects going forward, but this could really shut down any individual's ability to even make minor adjustments to their own property. Like I want to turn my small commercial lot into something a little bigger. Oh, sorry, you have to wait three years until citywide plan is done, and then you can start the process. Which, of course, is a kind of nonsense thing. I mean, even even if this went through, I can basically imagine city council being like, actually, we can't bind our own hands, uh, and being like, and now, under an exception to this rule, we've decided to do it. So, like, whatever. The moratorium on rezonings is, like, bad policy, and I'm glad that it died on, uh, no, for want of a second. The discussions on it, I, I can only imagine, are going to be, like, long and acrimonious, and hopefully still produce some kind of positive understanding of what the density that people say they want means for their blood. Like, I think that's the big issue that that somehow people don't mesh in their, their brains. Like, yeah, there's going to be bit of construction, maybe an apartment, maybe a store, maybe a Timmy's. Who knows? Maybe a Whole Foods. What? And you're right to point out, poll after poll has shown people across Metro Van want to see the city denser. They want to see more people living here, and they get that that's a necessary part of welcoming more people to the city who are coming here anyway, tackling the affordability crisis, the housing crisis. And 
partially tackling climate change as we can be more efficient in a denser city, Mm -hmm. needing less cars. They just don't like the steps of getting there and they just don't get as friendly when it's, you know, their block. Yeah, it's that kind of like neophobia type thing. It's like there, there is a new thing and it's different from the thing that I am comfortable with. Therefore, I fear it. I do not want it to. I think that through this process, people can not only get jazzed up about urban planning, I suppose, but you know how the Olympics caused a great deal of development in the city? That that was like pushing towards the event. And like if there is some kind of, you know, shining India example of of like a goal to reach for, then I, I think people might be able to be brought along. That is my fondest hope for the city plan. I also feel like it's probably not going to come to total fruition that way, but like people can be brought along by like division. And BC, for all its faults, does like big fucking deal politics. You know, town planning used to be an Olympic sport, an Olympic event, I guess. A uh, test one? <laughs> like a game? No, no, no. Medals. Medals were awarded. Yeah. Back in ancient Greece? No, no, modern no, no. Ones. In the modern Olympics. Like, uh,. It was one of the same Olympics where de Coubertin, the uh, guy who founded the modern Olympics, won a gold medal for poetry. Different times. Different times, indeed. In fact, around the same time that Vancouver's last city plan was done by Harlan Bartholomew. But I feel like we've beaten that dead horse quite a bit to death. In fact, it's basically jerky at this point. I, I do think we will see it pass tonight. Yeah, I mean, that's true. We're that's making true. a prediction at this point, but... There are very few councillors I could see ultimately voting against moving forward to a consultation. What comes back is going to be even more divisive than this likely is. Yeah, Gene Swanson seems like a, a solid vote in favor of this because it doesn't seem like anyone's going to make any money off of it. So, you know, her major objection to standard of living, I guess, is not uh, not violated. Uh, Boyle Stewart are definitely in favor of it. I can see most of the Greens being in favor of moving forward with this I mean, this, this is like now. Weeb's whole thing. Yeah. Like, and I think most of the NPA is going to be strongly in support of it. It may even go unanimous. You know, let's just move along. No, Colleen's going to vote against it. I feel like Colleen's going to vote against it. But that's just me rolling my misery dice. If I were buying my misery dice at a local game store, however, I might have a little bit of hope that it will be able to stay open longer uh, and not be swept away by the rising tide of property taxes that, under a highest and best use model, uh, would drive it out of business. There's some proposed tax changes that you are super excited about. I am very excited about these tax changes because I am very in favor of heritage businesses. I am very in favor of uh, local uh, ownership and, and businesses that have been in the community and generate its character. People like don't go to my neighborhood the Punjabi market for you know the marvelous sights of East 48th and just wandering I'm like ooh single detached homes how different from everywhere else in Vancouver no they walk along Main Street they walk along 49th they walk, walk along Fraser and they see the the like collection of shops the place that makes non-wraps and the the sari stores and uh, like five jewelry stores for some reason and uh now a timmy's so one of the things threatening heritage historic small businesses like that is high commercial property taxes and the reason they often face very high taxes is they're taxed according what is the highest use they can be taxed you know what's the 
best purpose they could be put forward to. And sometimes those small businesses aren't the aren't that. Yeah, and and sometimes they just don't have the capacity to make enough money to do that thing. Uh, and it's part of this process of like actual pricing people out of a market because say a dry cleaner is operating in a place and the dry cleaner is operating on margins that serve the community around it. So relatively cheaply, not making a ton of profit, but still like comfortable for the life of that owner. That dry cleaner is not the highest and best use of that land and taxing it as if it were like, let's say a bank or whatever. I, I don't know what the high, probably another cannabis shop, which I assume is just a license to print money. When you can get your Yeah, when license. you can get your license. It's getting that license to print money, that's the thing. But that's a whole other thing. And maybe we'll talk to someone from the city of Vancouver about that one day. Yes. But I think uh, that's in the works. Yes. But what the changes they're looking at is instead of looking at that highest and best use, looking at what the current use is and taxing according to that. Yes. So this would require amendments to provincial legislation. Like it, the province would have to step in and do something about this. But, you know, if there is a place where you get your car fixed and then suddenly two years as the property values skyrocket because, you know, improved transit service went in, getting to the place where you want to go only to find that it has been eviscerated by the ability that you are able to get there is like this unfortunate gift of the magi kind of situation uh, that Vancouver's tax policy has created with respect to businesses in the area. So the, the I guess the capitalist response to this would be though, don't you want to incentivize more profitable businesses in your city? Because then you can generate more tax income, higher wages, and a more vibrant economy than just supporting, you know, it's almost a subsidy to poorly performing businesses, is the argument. Well, these businesses aren't poorly performing, but they're serving the needs of their community. Like, I, I am not, you know, as hard capitalist as I think some people think I am. Uh, I, I actually think that the needs of a city as an eco, like an economic ecosystem, are ones that require careful attention and tending with broad policy ideas and, and having something that is effectively the, you know, a big dose of antibiotics against, you know, uh, what is unfortunately like a poor businesses. Some businesses, realistically, are just going to operate at lower margins. And those businesses are still valuable. Not everywhere has to be a Sephora. No, I agree. I just wanted to make sure we flesh that out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So from a policy that will hopefully prevent some redevelopment to hopes for redevelopment, a stunning turnaround of Vancouver City Council as after the very, very sad uh, rezoning vote failed for the property next to a hospice, uh, a new property has been approved over in the Fraser Hood. This is a property uh, near Fraser on 22nd. 121 units have gone in uh, over a land assemblage over like four units, four lots. And it is notable, one, for like being quite dense. Like I was actually quite impressed with the amount of stuff that went in there. It's also like the kind of ideal density that Vancouver really does need. Paris, for example, is this, that does not have skyscraper. No. But it's still very dense. Oh, yeah. It's all six floors. As uh, far as you can see. Yeah. And then the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. And that is admittedly because there are catacombs that would make it basically impossible to build a skyscraper. But 
still, it, it's very striking, but still manages to pack a bunch of people in. Victoria, also the highest density cor- corridor along Fort Street, lots of four-story walk-ups. Like, it's actually quite, to get quite a bit of density in, and you just add a couple to and not built high-rises. You don't need these towers where Vancouverism isn't necessarily the solution. Still, though, there is an interesting dust-up that happened at this rezoning yeah. uh, meeting. So for a while, I guess, local member of parliament Don Davies has been speaking out against this project. He's been, and this is really uncharacteristic and unexpected for a member of parliament to be weighing in so heavily into a local zoning issue. He's apparently been rallying people at his constituency office, holding town halls, circulating petitions. And then it kind of culminated with him speaking to Vancouver City Council directly in opposition to this proposal. And a lot of people were quick to point out, you sound really nimby there, Don, especially when you're talking about like your deck and the view from your backyard kind of stuff. And not just the general leftist, this isn't an affordable unit and won't help affordability in the city kind of argument. All right. So first off, fuck Don Davies' deck. Like, What is it with the NDP and their decks? Yeah. It's not good. I mean, (laughs) it's like a left-wing splurge. Ooh, planking. (laughs) So Don Davies... To flesh out that a little more and be more fair to him, uh, was saying that he was denied the ability to expand his deck because of the possibly being into someone else's yard. Uh, and therefore was against this because the people might be able to look down into yards, which I think is one false equivalent. Um, and two, very, very mystery. I, I don't think that this was just about, you know, deck privilege or whatever. I, I think it was basically Nimbian. Uh, nimbyism and for all the protestations about how he just wanted it to be affordable housing it is affordable housing for someone someone can afford it someone who can't afford to live here now because the vacancy rate's fucking nothing yeah this is i think what were the rents they're around like two thousand a month targeted 100 to 2100 ish yeah so not low income rents not you know you don't need to be in the you know, several hundred thousand dollar family income rate, middle class. Yeah. Solidly, which Vancouver needs. I agree. And so Dom makes his proposal, gets chewed out on Twitter for it. And then he spends the next day responding to people on Twitter, which was just, it's never a good plan to do that. Bad choice. And then his challenger from the Liberal Party, Tamara Taggart, former CTV news anchor, also shows up at the next night of the hearing to make her case for why density is good and more middle-class rentals are good, in her opinion. And it's really interesting to see the federal election spill over into a rezoning application in the city of Vancouver for what is honestly a mid-sized project. Yeah, and like props to Tamara Taggart for, one, taking the correct position, and two, some really good message positioning, like issue positioning. This is great stuff. And Don Davies brought it on himself. Like, if you're if you're gonna wade in trying to uh, slowly starve a city out of itself, then you might expect people to push back, people to run against you. That's the beauty of democracy. It did pass. I, I think 
everyone except for... At least Swanson. Swanson, yeah, because it's like anything. And yeah, you know, it's it was a positive and, and heartening shift away from what, what really felt very demoralizing after that city council vote on the, the hospice redevelopment. Well, and it's also brought up that this council is way behind on its rental targets. Yep. Like, and it's not even just a matter of, I think, the projects that have been turned down but even if they'd voted those in favor they're still nowhere near where they had said they want to be they, they were looking how many new units were they looking for something like three thousand six thousand ten thousand two thousand and that, so they're well behind this year's target of two thousand between november and the end of last month they'd approved 312 purpose-built market rental and 233 social housing units so 121 units this week is actually a big step for someone who's only approved 300 in total. Well, at least they're being thorough about it. Uh, Someone did a calculation on how many hours of debate, I think it was Scott actually, who did a calculation on how many hours of debate it took per rental unit, and he found that it would take something like six years or something, something ridiculous. Of continuous debate. Yeah, of continuous debate to reach the uh, proposed targets. it's, It's a bad scene and i feel like counselors really need to start talking in the hallways more like i feel like get get your act together this has got this has got to stop we have to we have to move forward and uh, you know other than taking this out of the hands of counsel entirely and just saying does it meet our policies adrian carr in fact had a very good tweet on this to the extent that she got three points right and then missed the other two she outlined three criteria does the project meet our policies does it have public support? Does it meet public needs? So I don't know really what public support can be defined as other than an excuse to cancel things, but she does miss like two very important ones. Namely, does someone want to build it? So like wishing for the unicorn uh, house is not really going to, to materialize it. And can it get built? I.e. does it have the financing and you know planning to support an actual development project? And, and those two are the two that I feel are not going, like, they're not considering it. I mean, there are assumptions baked into when I look at this thing that is before me, it has already passed those hurdles because someone's considered it. But the challenge now is becoming as projects drag on in council debates or they see councillors turn things down or threaten random changes at the last minute to the proposal like happened for those townhomes. Like, oh, couldn't you just come back with these slight changes now, developers are just going to walk away. They're going to walk away from, I'm pretty sure they're already walking away from District North Van. They're walking away from City of Vancouver. I guess they're going to Port Moody. Maybe we'll get there. You know what would be great is if we had like little consultation booths. You know, like, you know those those things where the video camera and a TV and a booth that you used to be able to walk in and then say random shit and they'd play it on public access channels? We need that. They need to be like... 20 second maximum and then you can just walk in for like a week beforehand say your piece leave and that's the public consultation and a random selection of those gets played for 30 minutes roughly proportional for and against and that's the uh representation that goes to city council yeah there's lots of ways it could be changed you could have that booth right near that big stupid sign that you have to put up but in terms of the number of projects that are going forward. I think that brings us to the graphs that have been going around. Love me some graphs. Charts on a podcast. See them in your mind. These were produced by 
nm underscore nvan on Twitter, who goes by Neil and just lives in North Van. He's only got 116 followers, but has been plotting essentially the voting record by project of City of Vancouver councillors. You know, did they vote in favor of this project? Did they vote against it? Did they abstain? Were they absent? So, in the spirit of positivity, let's give some credit where credit is due. Who has a unblemished voting record? Mayor Kennedy Stewart, Councillor Melissa DiGenova. And Councillor Elisa Dominato. Yes, she has that's true. She spots. missed a couple spots. Yeah. Votes, but yes. We still owe her an interview. I feel like this might become an ongoing... We'll, eventually, we'll eventually interview Lisa Dominato and then... Next up, councillors Carr Hardwick, actually, although she's missed the most votes. Yeah. Weeb and Kirby Young and Bly, I believe, have only voted against one project. Boyles voted against two. Uh, Fry has only voted in favor of a couple. Yeah, he's only voted in favor of two. And he formally abstained from one. Yeah. <laughs> and Swanson has not yet voted for a... And these are all market rental housing projects. Yeah. So, like, I've said my piece against Gene Swanson, but I'll say it again because it annoys me so much. Making the perfect the enemy of the good, trying to remove rental housing from a market sensibility is something that you need more public support for. Go win a fucking election. Get your entire council, get a bunch of people who support your ideas, who want to overthrow the capitalist rental market, elected to council, and then go fucking hog wild. But in the meantime, don't prevent anything that isn't exactly what you envision in a socialist utopia from getting built in this city that will actually help people right now. Well, I think just like we can defend Hardwick for a minute of giving voice to that perspective that is out there, even when it gets utterly voted down, Swanson gives voice to that perspective that's out there. And she was elected on a, I'm a socialist here for the poorest of the poor. I don't care about anyone and I want to eat the rich. That was basically her campaign. And... That's Honestly, the... a socialist not voting for market housing shouldn't be surprising. Yeah, except that's not the way the forks are pointed. Like, Frances Beulah, friend of the pod, had a very good uh, Twitter thread about this, uh, in particular where she notes that she was uh, helping a couple of young people uh, try and find apartments in the Mount Pleasant area, uh, and how the nature of market rental housing is that people who can outbid uh, others for vacancies will get the spots and as rental tenure turns over the character of a neighborhood will entirely change as a outbidder class is able to push out people who the type of people who would be moving into those spots otherwise i believe the socialists would call that the gentry yes and as they gentrify the neighborhood yeah and, and but the thing is like that if you don't have enough housing stock is an unavoidable process. What you could do is, instead of preventing the development of places where the people who could bid for it would go instead, uh, leaving the rest of the spaces open for people of that neighborhood to continue to occupy. Like, so, I, I don't get it. It's so frustrating. Yeah, I said the best defense I can put up for her, but I mostly agree. Like, were I sitting on that council, I'd go, you know what? I don't think the market's the ultimate solution, but while I'm proposed by one-off projects in the meantime until we can go through city plan or get magic funding to make more city affordable housing, public social housing built, let's build these. Fine. They follow the rules. They get built. Mm -hmm. And, you know, until the socialist 
takeover of city council happen, which, by the way, will never happen if you price everyone who would be voting for us out of Vancouver. You know, there's there isn't going to be a lot of positive change. If I were someone like Chip Wilson, I would be donating tons of money to Gene Swanson in the next election because his you know idea of keeping his neighborhood free from the riffraff of society like nurses, lawyers, doctors, teachers, and engineers. You know, people who want to move into a nice two-bedroom apartment that might be built instead of a mansion. If you want to keep your neighborhood mansion pure, uh, Gene Swanson apparently is the way to go. But let's not let Pete Fry off the hook. Oh, yeah. Pete Fry is also awful. Very, very bad. Especially because, like, his justifications of this are so scattershot. Like, at least there is a cohesive idea behind Gene Swanson's terrible voting record. One that I think is, one, misguided, and two, destructive. But Pete Fry seems to, like, just fire off randomly in all directions because he doesn't like the program. Not for a particularly clearly articulated reason, might I add, but... Also, parking concerns of about like it varies by project. Yeah, it, it varies by project. Been there's been something each time, and I think that's the same. You know, perfect as the enemy of the good. Yeah, it is situation. actually. You're right. It's that ability to focus. It's like catastrophizing. It's catastrophizing on a case by case basis. It's like that quote from Cardinal Richelieu: "If you give me six lines written by the hand of the most honest of men, I will find something in them which will hang him." And Pete Fry seems to be Cardinal Richelieuing it up with every single project that comes across his desk. Uh, except two. Except in the market two. room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, well, you have to let some of them through. It's you, ha- you have to give. You have to give a little. You have to mm-hmm. accept the city will not be perfect. Well, yeah, and it's so fascinating watching people who would otherwise seemingly agree. And this, I guess, comes back to the last chart on a podcast, right? My The what Price calls the Stuart Bushfield or the Press Bushfield thing. Bushfield the, Pressed yeah. Index. I like to not put myself first because I try to be humble about this like yeah, but weird pre- thing. Pressed Bushfield doesn't really... Fair enough. Because you have Christine Boyle and Gene Swanson who are both leftists. Mm-hmm. They both think non-market housing should be the way we try to solve these things, but Gene doesn't want to build. Christine wants shovels in the ground doing everything we can. Christine Boyle and One City will see dramatically dramatically changed city. Gene Swanson, I guess, is focused on the here and now. I have the same problem with Gene Swanson's philosophy on housing as I do with Halt's philosophy on housing, which is that I don't understand their philosophy on housing. I don't get how you get from A, which is where we are, to Z, a city where people can live affordably. Like, it's like, you know, step well, one. Well, first you hang all the developers. Step one, hang all the developers. Step two, profit. Profit, or in Gene Swanson's case, not profit. Non for not for profit. Not for profit. <laughs> and then, yeah, it, it doesn't really follow. You know, and the discourse in Vancouver political Twitter being what it is. If you ask someone from Halt, "What is your plan for affordable housing?" They respond. Plenty, you're an asshole, basically. So We're going to get tweets. Good, good, <laughs> come at me. I got on Twitter again, and it is like hate cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> but there is one project coming up that, in theory, hopefully no one will vote against, but we're ready to be disappointed. This is a new proposal, a big proposal, from Friends of the Pod, 
We had them on the show on International Women's Day. Yeah, friends of the pod. Bright, of the pod. bright side building. Always look on the bright side of life. Gonna get sued. <laughs> <laughs> they are nonprofit social housing group that have a number of projects around Metro Vancouver for seniors, for people on low income, for women, and they want to build a bunch more, which is, I hope, unquestionably good. Oh, you can definitely question it, and I have no doubt that some city councillors will be questioning it. But, you know, hopefully this, like, large amount of dispersed will allow for at least the uh, social set to uh, to approve and hopefully get this past the six votes. So. Yeah. yeah, they're going to redevelop five buildings that currently house 203 units, and they're going to increase that to 480, so... Honestly, when we're talking about only a few hundred units of market rental that the city has provided, having someone come forward with a proposal for 200 plus social housing is ambitious for Vancouver because this is the council we need. Well, I'm not going to get my hopes up. I mean, my hopes are always optimistic and, uh, you know, bright side. Even just saying their name makes me a little happy. Yeah, it's very good branding. So, you know, stay tuned for that. We gave a... A stay tuned a little while ago about a major f- transit funding announcement that uh, we should follow up on. <laughs> and what a disappointment. <laughs> so a couple of episodes ago, we said TransLink would be making a major announcement on uh, something. They teased it. They said we're going to be, you know, stay tuned. Thursday, June 24th, there's going to be a major announcement, and we bet you'll be happy. Yeah, I think that was the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association that was like, we're not saying it's 24-hour SkyTrain on Friday and Saturday, but if that's what you want, you won't be disappointed. That bet was wrong. They just trolled the whole transit community. Yeah, so as the Elm Tots got Dutch Elm disease and withered and died, the fact or perhaps were hit by a drunk driver on their way home from the bars because the SkyTrain will still not be running Friday, Saturday, Sunday, even some minor extended service hours. We're going to go into ridership estimates in a moment. Basically, the thing that is going to replace them is a better extended bus service at night. Night Bus Express, they're calling it. It'll be an extra service that jumps from downtown Vancouver to the Burbs basically skipping most of the stops of the SkyTrain. So it just drives you straight to Coquitlam, which is better than nothing, but it's not much better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. What a disappointment. So the report that fed this decision was safety and maintenance inspection in, independent from TransLink itself. We should, we should going, say the name of it. It's the 2019 Late Night Service Report available at TransLink.ca. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. Basically, it comes to the conclusion that to go to 24-hour service on Friday and Saturday to keep the same level of maintenance, they would need to reduce service by an hour from Sunday to Thursday, which would mean far fewer people are taking it in those extra hours Essentially, it would overall reduce service or reduce the number of people using the system because more people are using it on the late night weekdays than would be using it at 4 a.m. on a Friday. Who do transit planners think is using the train? Like, this is actually a question that I I am really curious because they're always wrong. Their ridership estimates have been so magnificently incorrect for new line openings and new service hours that, like, I, I really question 
one, uh, whether the actual maintenance does need to be like re- cut an hour of of uh, of time at the end of the night every other night, other than Friday Saturday, it doesn't make sense to me. the Evergreen Line, the Canada Line. Both of them opened up, and ridership estimates were like twice as much. Three, like they were in yeah. Canada Chan's got a piece up on Daily Hive, really breaking down what the estimates were and what reality turned out to be and it's just like we're very close to already exceeding that which is going to be a challenge for us in the future yeah and an indictment of the canada line planning process that allowed for tiny tiny stations to get built but you know the hindsight 2020 but uh looking to the future which apparently uh inexorable march of linear time progresses what does the future hold for port moody we're not sure yet the city as we've talked about has a rotating cast of acting mayors following the recently elected mayor being charged with sexual harassment and or assault i believe and taking a leave of absence which is now unpaid and they essentially draw names out of a hat about who gets to be mayor each week and now acting mayor hunter madsen what a name what a name (laughs) He's taken up the big chair and he's got some big ideas. Port Moody's going through a review of its city plan, its community plan. And rather than continue on the plan of building a bunch of condo towers in their downtown core, can we call it a downtown core out there? Nope. It's a town center, according to uh, growth estimates. He would rather bring forward what he has entitled the more than a bedroom community, exclamation mark, building a tech and innovation hub that revitalizes Port Moody with great jobs. Ian, Amendment. you said it wrong. You said it wrong. It's more than a bedroom community, building a tech and innovation hub that revitalizes Port Moody with great jobs. You can't see the jazz hands over yes. the podcast. Oh, but you could feel them. I know you could. So, I mean, terrible motion name, great intention. I think that the, the idea of people living near where they work uh, seems to have been completely forgotten by a lot of modern town planning and was, in fact, the operating principle for all town planning for most of history prior to, like, the 20s. <laughs> Paris is, you know, returning to that old canard, is dense, is six-story walk-ups everywhere because it has to be like you had to cram a bunch of people in an area that you could walk across in an hour because otherwise you couldn't get to work and back and still have time to do French things. I don't know if anyone's against the idea in principle. The biggest criticism of Madsen that's come up is from fellow councillor Diana Dilworth, who said, where the fuck did this come from? He kind of just sprung it on council from the sounds of it and didn't really talk to anyone else first he just kind of came forward with a fully fledged let's radically re-envision our ocp as the starting point of moving it which points for boldness yeah it's the port moody players off 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 broadway show title uh, production department more than a bedroom community anyway the idea of, of of creating like an actual tech hub or it could make Port Moody more into a place like North Vancouver, which has its own culture and ideas and and people, and certainly half of those ideas apparently are get the fuck out of North Vancouver. But in many of of the suburbs, you cannot live and work. Uh, you have to, you know, live and then commute. And 
that's not a sustainable way, no matter how many Skytrains we build. Well, we talked about Port Moody's ambitious climate crisis motion a couple of weeks ago, and I think this kind of approach would be consistent with that. I just hope it's fully thought out. But I guess if it's the start of the consultation, they can flesh it out and hopefully make something of value in this. I just am also not convinced everywhere can be a tech hub. Like, it's a little bit buzzwordy on that. It's a tech and innovation hub that revitalizes Port Moody with great jobs. Great jobs. So, let's hop back on the Evergreen Line and roll back into Vancouver and then all the way to Burrard Station, where we will then jump on the bikes that I've left in the basement of the Burrard Building where the Sarah Lehman Law Group resides, and then ride the Burrard Street bike lane all the way across over to Chip Wilson's house using the Burrard Street Bridge. The Burrard Street Bridge turned 10 years old. That is this week's Vancouverada. I think we've touched on the Burrard Bridge once before, but it's such a great set of bike lanes that I think it's worth a revisit. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have touched the Burrard Street Street Bridge and that I have, like, eaten shit on it once, but... uh... It's another one of those places where Vancouver underestimated the potential of an infrastructure project like that, an active transportation method where you go, what if we made cycling easy, safe, and accessible for more people? It turns out people like that. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the most intense white guys on their bikes clipping along, you know, the main drags. It's families and older people and everyone having fun, moving efficiently and in a healthy manner. It's really cool that Vancouver has this sort of opportunity to do this because like Vancouver as a former streetcar city was designed for streetcars and streetcars, unless you're in a place like San Francisco, like cable tow ropes, have to have self-propelled wheels that are not able to go up steep hills. And so that creates an environment that is very good for biking, except on the fucking Heather Street bikeway. Man, that hill is like just a wall. It's like the fucking north of Westeros up there. But that aside, it's fantastic. And I mean, the Broad Street bike lane was the first salvo in a long series of bike lane wars that appear to have just completely dissipated with the large defeat of Wei Young in the mm-hmm. last thing. I mean, oh no, Adnac. I guess 8% of Vancouver cares, but otherwise it's... I think just proven itself with more and more people using it. There are still a few people out there who are like, but it's not as many as you think. And it's like, well, you put all those people in cars and it won't be noticeable and you will not like it. So be happy that traffic isn't worse on Burrard Bridge, even though it's lost two lanes of motor vehicle space. Mm -hmm. And And there's still the Granville Street Bridge, which is the most overbuilt bridge in the region. Like, why does it need to be so many lanes? Well, we'll take a few of those lanes away soon, yeah. too. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. Anyway, looking back, looking forward, bridges, bridges all the way around. This has been the July 16th edition of the Camby Report. I'm Matthew Naylor. I'm Ian Bushfield. Remember, patreon.com slash Report. Oh, I never got it. I just got to go away now.